Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are class number 18. I'd like to learn a pasuk with you in Parashat Aikev. The Torah says, Ve'ata Yisrael. And now Yisrael, says Moshe Rabbeinu, Ma Adonai Elohecha Shoel Me'imach. What is it that Hashem, your God, is asking from you? When you, usually you say, what am I asking from you already? It sounds like I'm asking a very small thing. It's not like I'm asking you for such a big item. Like, what am I asking from you? Ma Hashem Shoel Me'imach. So what, what is that small thing? It says, Ki'im et Adonai Elohecha To have fear of Hashem To live your life with awareness of Hashem And that He is before you And to be in awe of Him To follow all of His ways To follow His midot Will ahava oto to love him. Vela avod et Adonai Elohecha and to serve him. Bechol levabecha with all of your heart, ubchol nafshecha and all of your soul. That sounds like a pretty big item. That's not what am I asking from you? I mean, they're all very nice things, but these are not small things. In fact, the Mesilat Yesharim quotes this pasuk as basically the entire service of mankind. It's to fear God, to follow His midot, to love Him, to serve Him with everything that we have. That's what it's all about. There's nothing really else. So how can Moshe Rabbeinu get up and say, what does Hashem want from you? He makes it sound so easy. When really, in reality, it's what everything is all about. Let's learn together Gemaran Masechet Menachot. Tanya, Hayar Rabbi Meir Omer. Rabbi Meir would say as follows Hayav Adam Lebarech Mea Berachot Becholio. A person is obligated to make 100 blessings a day. There are different types of blessings. There's blessings for mitzvot, before we do a mitzvah, like before we put on tefillin, before we separate halah. There are berachot for pleasures when we eat. That's called berachot anehenin. There are berachot shiva when we bless Hashem praising him for certain things that he does. But bottom line says Rabbi Meir, 100 times a day, at least, one needs to make a beracha. Where did Rabbi Meir get this from? Shene'emar, Pasuk says, Ve'ata Yisrael, Ma Adonai Elohecha Shoel Me'imach. The Pasuk 
that we just read. Says Rabbi Meir, this is the source that you have to make 100 berachot per day. Even though when you read the Pasuk, there's no mention of berachot. And there's a mahloket in the Rishonim, exactly where he saw it in the Pasuk. Today we'll go with one explanation, that of Rashi. Rashi says, the word ma, Rashi says, al tikre ma, don't read it ma, read it me'ah, with an aleph. So therefore, ma Hashem shu'el mecha, you know what Hashem is asking from you? Me'ah. He's asking 100. 100 berachot per day. It comes out that we have an obligation besides the explicit obligation of making Berkat Hamazon, where the Torah says, Ve'achalta ve'savata. When you eat and you're satiated, Uberachta et Adonai Elohecha, and you have to bless Hashem. But according to Rabbi Meir, we have another source in the Torah for blessings. I don't know if he means it's from the Torah or maybe hinted in the Torah. But nevertheless, he says one is obligated 100 times to bless Hashem. Now blessings, birachot, are things that we've been accustomed to from the day that we were born. If we live anywhere near a community that followed the Torah and mitzvot, Berachot are as obvious and simple as tefillah or any other mitzvah. Berachot are part of our lives. Not the berachot that we go to ask somebody for a blessing. I don't mean those. I mean when we make a beracha, when we stop before we drink and we make a beracha. She'akol niya bidvaro. The beracha of bore peri ha'etz. Hamotzi lechamina aretz, birkat hamazon, bore mine besamim. Berachot, we have tons of berachot. We're all very familiar with them. But today I'd like to point out something about berachot that I think is very necessary. It may be a little sensitive of a question to ask, but we must ask it because we have to understand how these berachot work. First, I'd like to give you an example of two kind people. One of them, when he gives money to a needy person, he likes to make sure that the person will not know that he gave it to them. He does it anonymously. Doesn't want anything back. Doesn't ask for anything back from the person that he is helping. His friend also gives money. But his friend, when he gives money, he likes to make sure 
that the person who got the money knows that he gave it to him. And in fact, he would appreciate a little recognition, a thank you, maybe even a plaque if it was a lot of people that he's helping. It's something that he looks to have when he gives money. For sure, there's no question when it comes to charity, if I asked you which one of those two was higher in their level of charity, they're both giving the same amount of money and they're both helping the same amount of people, you certainly would tell me the first one. Well, the first one, that's matan baseter, that's giving charity without anybody knowing. That's the highest level of charity where we give a person and they don't even know who gave it to them. And we don't ask for anything back. That is the way charity is supposed to be given. Now the second guy, you know, there is a Rashbah that says, the Rashbah, one of the great Rishonim says, that when a person does a mitzvah, it's good to publicize it. So that people will learn from you. It's not always good to keep your mitzvot private. Sometimes, for example, in charity, if you're giving money, it's good to publicize it because people will learn to give charity when they see you give charity. Take an example, our community, who's famous, well-known for our charity giving. A lot of it has to do with people knowing that the guy before them gave charity. If I lived in a community that everyone gave charity and no one knows, so then I wouldn't even know to give charity. It's part of our blood because we're around it. We see it. So the Rashba says there is an important enyan to publicize what you do. When you do something good so people could learn from you. So certainly if the second person was doing it for that reason, then we wouldn't take anything away from him. But let's say that wasn't his reason. He didn't know about the Rashbah. He never heard of the Rashbah. He's doing it because it makes him feel good. He likes to get a little kavod. He likes to get a little honor. I think we would say that's it's nice that you're giving charity. You definitely will get credit for it, but it's not, it's not on the highest level. It's not shlemut. It's not complete. If we all agree to this, then we have a real problem. Because when we develop our character and our midot, it's not etiquette that we're looking to have good etiquette and to be well-behaved or to look good. Midot in Judaism is like the Pasuk says, Vehalachta bidrachav. The midot, why is it appropriate to be kind? to be Baal Hassan, because that's Hashem's Midot. Why is it appropriate to be honest, to be emet? That's who Hashem is. Why is it good to be compassionate or patient? That's who Hashem is. When we learn the Torah, we learn the Midot of Hashem. And the purpose of learning the Midot of Hashem is not to find out about who he is, is because 
We need to emulate him. So any midah that we have is supposed to be striving to reach the shlemut of the midah that Hashem has. When it comes to Hashem giving us, He gives us food, He gives us all types of pleasures. And then He says, and I want you to bless me. I gave you bread, you had a meal. I'm obligating you to bless me. I want you to say thank you. Comes to Rabbi Meir, says, no, Hashem wants you to say thank you, not just once, not just when you eat bread. 100 times a day, he wants you to say thank you. Now that's a little problematic because in our world, this would not be the highest level of kindness. If Hashem is the benchmark is he's the one that we're supposed to be following so then how is it that he can give us and demand from us to give him back a blessing shouldn't it be anonymous and if you say well it's not going to work anonymous by god because it's just reality he gave us everything and he continues to but certainly don't ask for something back. If we would ask for a blessing from someone that we're helping, it would be a little bit of a blemish in our giving. Again, it wouldn't make us bad, but it wouldn't be the top. Hashem is the top. Why is it okay for him to ask for a beracha? Why doesn't that Take away from his shlemut. In order to answer this question, and it's a very important question, because as you see from this question, it's actually a big question. But usually when you have big questions, you have very big answers too. And this one is going to produce a very, very big, important, valuable answer. That maybe a person could make berachot his entire life and not realize what is going on. Question. There's something called a donation and something called a gift. We call that in Hebrew a matana. While we just explained that when it comes to donations, to remain, to remain anonymous is the highest level. Not expecting anything back would be the best. Yet when it comes to giving someone a gift, somehow, in our mind, things change. I don't think anybody here ever gave a wedding gift anonymously. You never put money in an envelope without a name, or maybe you wrote anonymous, Mabruk, love you, and you gave it to the Hatan and Kala. Somehow, it's obvious to us. What do you mean? When you give a gift, you don't give an anonymous gift. That's not, that's not appropriate. And if you think that it's just, okay, you know, that's just the way we feel. Maybe 
Maybe it's the American way. Maybe that's where we learned it from. It's not. Because Hazal tells us, Masechet Shabbat, the Gemara says, when you give your friend a gift, you must inform him of the gift. Which means they're telling you, no anonymous gifts. You give someone a matana, you are obligated to tell them. Tell them. What is the difference between donations, charity, and gifts that make one so beautiful when it's anonymous and the other one not so beautiful when it's anonymous? It makes it more beautiful when you tell the person. At the end of the day, it seems to be very similar. It's both people giving someone else something. So what is the difference between the two? So the difference is like this. When it comes to tzedakah, when it comes to donations, charity, there's a person who's lacking something. He has an empty cup. Now he would like to fill up that cup on his own. Because that makes him feel accomplished, proud, whatever it is. When he's unable to fill his cup, and someone has to pour into his cup, that makes him feel ashamed or embarrassed. That's what the Zohar calls Nahama de Kisufa, the bread of shame. Meaning, if I have to knock on your door every day to feed me, so I am ashamed. It's called bread of shame. Because I would rather feed myself. I lose my kavod when somebody else has to give me what I need. Because of that shame, if a person doesn't see the one giving it to him, so it's less shame, it's less embarrassment. It doesn't feel good altogether to receive, even if you don't know the person. It never feels good to receive. But at the very least, if you don't know the person giving it to you, and certainly when they're not in front of you, so it's not as big of an embarrassment. So that's why when it comes to charity, the more you could save the person from embarrassment, the greater the charity that you're giving. But when it comes to gifts, it's a whole different story. Matanot is not charity. When I give a hatan a gift, or I give my son a gift, or my friend a gift, I'm not trying to fill their cup. It could be that their cup is missing. But that's not my goal. It could be that the hatan and kala do need my help. But that's not why I'm giving the money. It's not my purpose. My purpose is I want to tell these people that they are very dear to me, that I love them very much. And because of that, I took time and my money and maybe I even went to buy a card, and I even wrote the card, 
just to show them how much I love them. So the matana is an expression of ahava. It's an expression of love that I give the other person. It's not so much the money. The money is only a siman. It's only a representative of my feelings. You know, it's hard to love someone and you give them nothing. Sometimes those words, I love you, are very empty. So in order to make the words, I love you, be meaningful, so I'm showing you that I'm willing to part with money. That's important to me. I'm willing to write something, which takes time. I'm willing to look for a card, which takes time. So all of those things are just a siman that I really be'emet, value you, and I love you. But what's behind the matana is not the matana. What's behind the matana is the gift of love that you're giving that person. That's why it makes no sense to give a matana anonymously. Because the whole purpose of the matana is to tell them that you love them. If you write anonymous, then you basically failed in your message to the person. Then, actually, if you write anonymous, by the way, then you're actually embarrassing the person. Because when you write anonymous on a gift to a hatan and kala, it means that in your eyes, you're trying to help them because they're missing something. So your money is not a matana. It's a tzedakah. And that's why you wrote anonymously. So you actually make the person feel bad when you don't write your name when you're giving a gift. So that's the difference between a gift and between charity. Now we got the difference. You should know that thank yous apply to both gifts and charities. Meaning the one who received charity owes a thank you. And the one who gives charity is also owed a thank you. But they're very different thank yous. They sound the same. And they may even look the same. But they're not the same. It's a different message that's being given when I say thank you for a gift or I say thank you for charity. When someone gives me charity, I say thank you like an evid, like a slave is thanking his master who has basically control over his life and was kind enough to give him something that he needs. So I say thank you out of fear, out of awe, out of hachna'a, like a person bending his knees down in front of the other person, thank you so much. You don't know what you did for me. I wasn't able to eat dinner tonight. But because of you, I can eat and feed my family. I wasn't able to afford my house. Thank you, I could pay the mortgage. It's a person, it's the image if, is of a person who's kneeling down on his knees, literally, and saying, thank you so much. You saved my life. I couldn't do it without you. That's the type of thank you when someone gives someone what they need, charity. When someone gives you a gift, the thank you is not that kind. 
It's not, oh wow, you saved my life, thank you. You never get a hatan and kala looking at the person who gave them a check. He says, you don't know, thank you so much, you saved me. You don't know what you did with that check that you gave me? That, that's not the reaction. That's not what a thank you card does. The thank you is a different thank you. The thank you is, wow, I received your love. Thank you. I love you back. That's why they have thank you cards. I don't think they have thank you cards by charity. They don't make them. Because a thank you card for a gift is just as important as the gift itself. In fact, it may be the purpose of the gift. The whole purpose of the gift is to bring ahavad. I want to show you how much I love you. So if you don't give a thank you back, that means there's something missing in our loving relationship. It's very hard to love someone one way. You need ribui. You need to bring more love into the relationship. So I say I love you by giving you a gift. And you say I love you by writing back thank you. You'll notice when someone says thank you for someone who gave them charity and helped them, the person will say, nah, don't, it's nothing, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's not me. It wasn't me. I'm giving somebody else's money. It wasn't, don't worry. They'll belittle the act. Like, don't say thank you. Now, by giving a gift, if you did that, that would be so inappropriate. Imagine you gave someone a gift. And they come and say, thank you so much. I can't believe it. No, no, it wasn't me. No, it was somebody else. Hello, what do you mean somebody else? The whole point was to show you it's me. The opposite. You could say something like, you know, I spent an hour in the store finding you a card. It took me 20 minutes to write that card. You would never say that by a gift, by a charity. By charity, you downplay what you did. Because again, you're filling his cup. So you want to make sure that he doesn't feel that you're behind that. As, as much as possible. But when it comes to a gift, the opposite. The more you play up the gift, the more you show that you were thinking about the person and how hard you worked to get what it is that you gave them and how you picked it out and how all that is actually part of the gift. So when you say thank you to someone who gave you a gift, the person receives it very, very much lovingly. And the opposite makes his gift even look bigger. This is the difference between donations and gifts. Matanot and staka. Two things that look so familiar, so similar, excuse me. Everything looks so similar. The motion, the giving, the thank you. But it's a very different story. question is like this. When Hashem gives us our needs, and there is no other way, because only He can give us our needs. Does He give it to us as charity? When Hashem gives me my food or my health, 
for my children, for anything that I need to be able to live or better than live? Does Hashem view that as tzedakah? Is that part of his chesed in the sense that he's giving me charity? He's looking to fill my cup? Is that his attitude? Or is his attitude that he wants to give me out of ahava? Because he wants to show me how much he loves me. So, here goes. If Hashem didn't ask us for a beracha, if Hashem did it anonymously, and didn't ask us for a thank you, then the message is very clear. You are my charity case. And that's how I view you. I'm here to give you charity which still deserves a thank you, but it's a different kind of thank you. It's not a thank you that Hashem would demand from us. If Hashem was giving us charity, He would do it kind of anonymous. He wouldn't even want us to know that it was Him if it were possible. And certainly would not ask us to bless Him. That's not appropriate. That's not how you give charity. So what does it mean when Hashem says, say thank you? What, what is He trying to say to me? When He says, oh, you ate my food that I gave you? Oh, say thank you. Say thank you a hundred times a day, at least. Say thank you to me. What, what is the message there? What is He telling me? He's telling me a very powerful message that maybe is very hard for us to imagine that the Creator of the world has an interest in a relationship of love with me. It's very hard for us to imagine. Usually when we think of great men or great people or great women that are so powerful, we don't think of them as having a desire to have a relationship with little people, small people. They have a, a, an adon, a master relationship when the president walks around, he doesn't say, I love the people. I mean, he may say those words. That's not really what he's saying. He's, his relationship is, I'm the leader and I'm going to take care of you. You're the people I'm going to take care of. It's very hard for us to imagine that the creator of the world actually loves us on a personal level. And not only loves us, he gives us because he wants us to know that he loves us. It's hard to imagine, but that's the emet. That is the truth. Hashem is like a father or a mother who loves his child. In fact, the whole concept of a mother loving her child was only brought into creation. Hashem could have brought children from the ground. They could have grown like trees or fruits or vegetables. Every human can just come from the ground and start living their life. There wasn't a need for a mother-child relationship or a father-child relationship. That was a creation of Hashem. Hashem decided to do that. And many things that Hashem decided to do in the physical world, it's a 
example, a mashal, for us to understand our relationship with him or his relationship with us. A mother's love for a child is unimaginable. If you never saw a mother or never even dreamed of a mother, you would never imagine that there could be a human on the planet that's willing to give someone everything they have and more. That if they had something, they would give the child first before they give themselves. They think and worry about the child before they think or worry about themselves. They're in pain for the child more than in pain for themselves. It's hard to imagine. Which person do you know in your life that you really feel that way to? I mean, we're good to people. We like people. We say hello to people. We try to help as much as we can. But where do you feel a love for someone like a mother loves her child? There is no such example. If Hashem didn't make this relationship of a father, mother, child, we would never imagine what it means that Hashem loves us. When He says, I love you, we don't know what that means. We would compare it to love between friends, which doesn't even come close to a love of a parent. Hashem created this parent-child home to show us what it means when He says, I love you, like a father, like a mother. That's what it means. How does Hashem express to us that He loves us? When He gives us what we need, He doesn't do it anonymously. He says, I'm giving you your food. I worked very hard to give you that food. Why am I telling you? What do you mean? I love you. It's a gift. Not only that, I wish we can have a better relationship. Could you send back the thank you card? Because when you send back the thank you card, it means that you got the love and you're sending it back. And then when you send back the love, there's more. There's ribui. There's more love here. We are very fortunate, actually, that Hashem has asked us to send back thank you cards. Because otherwise, we're really charity cases. 100 times a day, Hashem says, say thank you. This relationship really needs to grow. Perhaps this explains... Two definitions that we see in the word Baruch. What does it mean, Baruch Atah Hashem? Every Beracha begins, Baruch Atah Hashem. Hashem, I'm blessing you. Who are we to bless Hashem? What does that mean, I'm blessing you? So some say that the word Baruch means, is from the word Berech. Berech means Ni. Like when a person feels such gratitude that they bow, like in Modim we bow, and we bend our knees, when someone is giving you your life, and giving you your health, and giving you everything you have, and everything is tied in His giving, that automatically humbles you. And you get down on your knees, and you say, thank you. That's why we bow in Modim. So the word Baruch means, you're someone worthy of me bowing to you. Baruch, I'm describing you. Baruch atah Hashem. Which means your abundance of kindness and chesed and tzedakah that you have for me 
causes me to bend in front of you. Thank you. Which is true. But there's another explanation to the word Baruch. Some explain that the word Baruch means ribui. Like when they say someone has a lot of money. They say, oh, he has beracha. He has beracha and money. What does that mean? He has a lot of money. Or someone has a lot of children. Say, oh, he has a beracha. He's blessed with children. When we, in this world, talk about a lot of something, we call it beracha. Like a, it's flashon beracha. Where the water keeps coming. Sometimes the water comes and stops. But this guy, it didn't stop. It just kept coming. Some people, they make a little money and it stops. This guy just keeps coming. It means gidul veribui. means to make something bigger and more quantity. So what does that mean? Baruch atah Hashem. If that's the sense. Baruch means, means a lot. It means that when you got the gift from Hashem, who said, I love you, that was the apple you ate, or the orange that you peeled, or the bread that you enjoyed, or the neshama that you got back this morning. When you got the gift, when you got the love, you said, Baruch, I want to make this love greater. I want this love to be a bracha. I don't want it just to be, you gave me love and stop. When someone gives you love, you want to make it much greater than it started. So what do you say? Baruch atah Hashem. Hashem, may this love continue to grow. Here, here's the thank you back. That's a different definition given by some of the Mepharshim. What the word Baruch, what am I saying when I say Baruch? Am I bending? Or am I sending back a thank you to bring more love between us? And perhaps both are correct. And depends how you take the gift. If you look at yourself as a charity case, you still have to say thank you. But your thank you is more of the bending your knees, which is correct. But if you got the gift, so your baruch is very different. It's on a higher level of baruch. It's not about a person who's bending his knees, although it's still appropriate because it is someone giving you needs. But you took it on a much higher level. You took not the gift, but you took the message behind the gift, which is really the goal of the gift. You got it. You said, oh, baruch. Yes, I love you back. May this love continue to grow. It's a different kind of beracha when you say baruch that way. When you write that thank you card back to Hashem, that's not about bowing to Him. It's more than that. It's connecting with Him on a level that He wants to be connected to you, which is a connection of ahava. Which, by the way, fits very beautifully with the pasuk that the Me'a Berachot came from. These Me'a Berachot, by the way, are written in Shohan Aruch. It's not just a Gemara that I quote it. It's a, it's a Halakha in Shohan Aruch. Siman Mem Vav. 
says, Hayav, every person is obligated. Every person in this room is obligated every day to make 100 birachot. 100 times to write the thank you. 100 times to say, I love you back, thank you. Now, of course, the way to count them, you have to look with, they have these charts that you should look for. A lot of them already in the Amidah, you already have 19. Just one Amidah, you have 19. Birkot HaShahar, you have a lot. You pray three times a day, you have more. And then you have other Berachot that you have, Asher Yatsar, you have all the food Berachot. 100 times a day, minimum, to send back the thank you. So now at least we understand why it's okay for Hashem to say, bless me. Not just okay. Baruch Hashem, it's that way. That's his message of telling us, this is not charity for me. Which really helps us understand the Gemara in Masechet Baba Kama. The Gemara says, Amar of Yehuda, Hayman deba'ele mive hasida, Somebody who wants to be a Hasid, which we're going to explain in one minute what that word means, Hasid. But the Gemara says, you want to be a Hasid? So Rabbah says, make sure you fulfill the laws of Berachot. Which means to make a hundred Berachot first, you have to know the Berachot. You can't just say Berachot. You have to know what the Berachot is. And how to say it, and when to say it. Says the Gemara in Baba Kama, you want to be a Hasid? I guess that's something very special. You want to be a Hasid, you have to fulfill Berachot. They could have said other things. I don't know if this is what we would have automatically rushed to say. You want to be a Hasid, is to say Berachot. Well, we don't even know what the word Hasid means, so we don't know anything right now. But look at the Zohar. The Zohar says, Ezehu Hasid. Who is a Hasid? What, what does this word mean? Says the Zohar, Who is a Hasid? Hamit Hasid Imkono. Someone who does kindness with his creator. Could you imagine that? Do you do kindness with your creator? Did you ever even think about doing kindness with your creator? Is it even possible to do kindness with your Creator? But here comes the Zohar and says, what is the definition of a Hasid? By the way, that's the Hasid we spoke about in Baba Kama. The one who said, you want to be a Hasid? Make Berachot. So who's a Hasid? Someone who does kindness with his Creator. Obviously, the question is, how can anyone do kindness with his Creator? Anything that you would give him, he would first have to give it to you. There's no way to give him anything. He made everything. And he continues to make everything. How could you give him anything? He's not missing anything. So what does it mean to do kindness of my creator? We have to continuously remind ourselves. A mother's love for her child is only a fraction, it's only a little fraction, not a big fraction, a small fraction of Hashem's love for His children. That's us. 
the ahava that Hashem has for us is unimaginable. And our only point of reference even is just the mother's love. But it's not, that's not what it is. It's just something that we could at least say, oh wow, that's big, but it's much bigger than that. And what does a mother love more than anything else when it comes to her child? Is to give her child whatever the child needs. If she can give him anything in the world, she'll do it. And she'll do anything to make sure that he has it. Of course, the basics, the food, of course, the clothing, of course, the housing, of course, the education, of course, the, the fun, if it's trips, if it's this. A mother will do anything to satisfy and give her child pleasure. It's obvious. Otherwise, she wouldn't be a mother. At least not the type of mother that anyone would want. It's almost in the nature of a mother to do that. So Hashem's love is much more than a mother. So what do you think Hashem would like to be involved in all day long? Giving us pleasures. That would be Kavyachol, his greatest pleasure. Just like a mother's greatest pleasure is to give her children, Hashem's greatest pleasure is to give us. So why not give us all day long? Well, as a mother, you also know that not always should you be giving your children. Sometimes giving your children is not appropriate for them. Maybe they're not behaving appropriately. So that would be con considered rewarding bad behavior. So you want them to understand this is not the way. So many times your children don't let you give them because you can't give them, because you have rules in your house. The rules were set up not for you. The rules were set up for them. But you have to follow those rules. Because if you don't follow rules in giving, you may just spoil your children. You're giving them, but you're actually destroying them. To be a giving mother without boundaries, that's not called a smart woman who's raising good children. You're hurting your children. So even a person who desires to give everything, they have boundaries. And usually the boundaries are set by the person who's receiving. Because if they're not able to receive because of their situation, so they're not letting you give them. Because by giving them, you'd be hurting them. You'd be teaching them, for example, that you get something for nothing. You don't want to give that message. You want to teach them responsibility. You want to teach them that there is consequences. You want to teach them that you earn. If they're going to behave in terrible ways and you're going to give them the same, then you're hurting your son. You're hurting your daughter. So you have rules. Even though you love your children, you have rules. And if you don't have them, you're in trouble. Hashem also has rules. By the way, the rules that we have are like the ones Hashem has. That's where we got them from. He also has rules in giving. He would love to give all day long. Just give, 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 give everything. But he has rules. Because sometimes if he gives us, we're like that child. We're not really doing the right things. If he just continuously gives us, 
It's not helping us. Sometimes by holding back, it actually wakes us up. Sometimes by not giving us, it brings us closer. It makes us more aware. It makes us better people. Very often when you have everything, you become arrogant. And you become removed from your creator, which is the purpose of your life. So therefore, Hashem sometimes can't give us. Do you know how much of a pain it is for a mother to see her child need something and she can't give him? Do you know how much it hurts when your daughter needs something so badly but you can't give it to her? Usually it's because you have no ability to give it to her. Whether it's she needs a good friend or she needs a shiduch, or she needs a child. Whatever it is, you know how much it hurts when you want to give something to your daughter or to your son and you just can't. Guess who feels that way? With us, Hashem. He also has a very hard time. Kav Yachol. That he can't give us because he wants to give us. But at the same time, he has rules he can't give us. That's why it says in Mishnah Perkehavot, Sechar Mitzvah, Mitzvah. The reward of a Mitzvah is a Mitzvah. What does that mean, the reward of a Mitzvah is a Mitzvah? Say, when you do a Mitzvah, Hashem rewards you with a Mitzvah. What do you mean, Sechar? The reward of a Mitzvah is a Mitzvah. Some explain it means. That besides when you do a mitzvah, it's a good thing, and you get rewarded for that. But you get rewarded for the reward of the mitzvah. Because when Hashem gives you reward for the mitzvah, you're helping Him. Because He wants to give you. So more than the mitzvah that you're getting reward for, you're getting reward for the fact that Hashem is giving you, and that itself is a great mitzvah. Sechar mitzvah is a mitzvah. Allowing Hashem to give you is a mitzvah. Also, sechar avera, avera. Our rabbis explain that when someone does something wrong, the biggest pain and the biggest punishment of an avera, you know what it's for? For not allowing Hashem to give you. It's like Kav Yachol suffering. It's like you're causing him not to be able to give you. It's so difficult. That's the biggest damage that you do. Sechar Avera, the Avera. The fact that Hashem has to pay back for this Avera, that's the worst Avera. So Ezehu Hasid. Who is the Hasid? The one who does Hasid with Hashem. How do you do Hasid with Hashem? You allow him to give you. Kaviachol, you're doing him a favor. Because he wants to give you. And the Gemara says in Mabakama, so how do you do it? How do you allow Hashem to give you? Okay, Hashem, so give me. But it doesn't work like that. Hashem wants to give you, but he has rules. There are guidelines. He can't just give you. It's not good for you to give you. 
So how do you get him to give you? Says the Gemara, the key, you want the key? Berachot. When you recognize the Berachot in your life, and you send that card back a hundred times a day, and you mean it, this is the key to ribui of the Berachah. When you send the card back, he sends you more back. The more you send back, the more he sends you back. Which explains the Gemara and Masech Berachot that says, if you eat something without a beracha, it's like you're robbing God. Ukneset Yisrael. And you're robbing the Jewish people. Imagine, you picked up a cup of coffee and you put it in your mouth. And you didn't make a beracha. Okay, maybe it's not so nice. It's not etiquette. Someone gave you, you don't make a beracha. Say thanks. Say it's not so nice. But you would never think this. If you don't make a beracha on that coffee, you're robbing God and the Jewish people. Could you imagine you'd be, when after 120, you were the person that robbed the Jewish people? What, me? I stole from the Jewish people. I was the most honest person. What did I steal from them? Says Rashi, you know what you robbed? From Hashem, you robbed his beracha. He's waiting for the thank you. You robbed him, not of his beracha, it's not your beracha. You robbed him, meaning you robbed him of the ability to give you, which comes with your beracha. Your thank you note brings a beracha. So you robbed Hashem of being able to give, and you robbed the Jewish people from getting the beracha. Of course, Berachot have to be real and they have to be done the right way which is not for today's class but they have to be made the Beracha is the thank you card this by the way explains a very interesting story that when you read the story you just have a hard time even processing the story. Some things you can't understand, and some things you can't even process. This one, you can't even process it. You, you just can't understand it. What, what's happening? The Gemara says in Masechet Berachot of Zayn that one time Rabbi Ishmael ben Elisha was a Kohen Gadol. He went into the Holy of Holies. I don't understand all the details of the story, but I can tell you what it says. Obviously, it's deeper than what our mind is able to conceive, but it's enough for us to understand the basics. It says he went into the Holy of Holies to bring the Ketoret and he saw Hashem sitting on a throne. Ve'amarli says Rabbi Ishmael, this Kohen Gadol, Hashem told me, Yishmael beni, my son Yishmael, barcheni, could you please bless me? Hashem is asking the Kohen. Amarti lo, I said to him, Yehi ratzon milefanecha. 
Maybe, maybe you will. He gives all types of berachot. You should have compassion. You should behave with your children You should be compassionate with your children. And Hashem says in the story, He said yes with his head. As if, thank you. I needed that. What kind of story is this? How can Hashem is asking the Kohen for the Berakha? And then he says, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And what was the Berakha? That you should have compassion with your children. But after today's class, I think we have a lot more understanding of what's going on. You see, Hashem has rules. Like we mentioned, how to give. And sometimes his children don't allow him to give. But there's another rule. That Hashem has people on earth that are very, very special people. Who are very big tzaddikim and tzaddikot. Very beautiful, righteous people who have earned themselves a special status. So what does Hashem have? He's sitting there and he wants to give. He wants to give to Am Yisrael. But he can't. He's bound by the rules. He can't do it. So when Rabbi Ishmael came, he says, Barakhini, could you bless me? I want to be able to give. So Rabbi Ishmael starts to pray. He says, Hashem, may you give with everything you have to you. He says, thank you. Because one of the things also Hashem runs by is that great tzaddikim, he does what they ask. There's a concept that Hashem's, Hashem listens to a tzaddik. He says, thank you. I want to give them. I appreciate it. Now I have to listen to you. I'll do it. I saw a nice story about a great rabbi who was known to be a very great man, a man of uh, miracles. His name is Rav Levi Yitzchak Mibardechev. Allah Shalom. He was a very holy man. And the story says that one Yom Kippur, Lel Kippur, the night of Kippur, by the Kal Nidre, he looked very unusually upset or nervous, concerned. And he gave the Kehillah very big chizuk that they need this, this deen, this, they need, they need to strengthen themselves, they need to tefillot, they need to purify themselves. And sometime after the Kal Nidre, 
they saw he looked normal again. Whatever normal was for him on Yom Kippur. They all wonder what happened. He was very intense, very nervous, very like under pressure, and all of a sudden everything was fine. So after the tefillah and Abit, he called one of the people, one of the ladies, he called, he called her to come, he wants to speak to her. Her name was Leah. He tells her, Leah, could you tell me what happened to you tonight? Something happened to you tonight, I need to know what went on. So she says, yeah, Rabbi, the truth is something did happen to me tonight. She says, I've been married for a few years. And we didn't have children. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and did whatever we could. And Baruch Hashem, after a few years, I have a child. I have my baby. And this was the first Yom Kippur with my baby. I wanted to go to Kalnibre. I never missed Kalnibre. But I had nobody to leave the baby with. I didn't know what to do. Stay home, miss Kalnibre, go to Shul. So I decided, I said, the baby went to sleep. Says, the Shul is right down the block. She said, I'm going to run down the block while he's sleeping. And I'm going to go here to Kalnibre. She said, I'm sitting there in Shul, and I couldn't really enjoy one moment of Shul because I was nervous. Maybe the baby fell, maybe he turned around, maybe he's crying, maybe he's screaming, maybe I, the whole time I'm thinking of the worst imaginable things that could have happened. She said, right after the Kalnidre, I ran back home, running, running. And I got to the house, and I go into the room, and the baby's sleeping, nice, quiet. I was overwhelmed with a feeling of appreciation. And I looked up and I said, Ribbonosha Master of the Universe, just as if you've given you've given me Nahat from my child, may you have Nahat from all your children. That's a woman's sincere bracha to Tasha. You can't imagine that sometimes a great person blessing Hashem could bring out the best. That's part of the rules. It's very important to finish this subject. Of 100 Berachot with a Pasuk in Tehillim that everybody here needs to do a real study on, do Hazara on it, review and review, and probably every day of our lives to review. Because it may be the most important element of our success in life. David Melech writes. In Tehillim, we read it every Shabbat. 
that we know in life there is something called lilot. Lilot means that we have in life situations and times where things are just not going so well. It could be in the physical realm, where people are struggling, health, financially, relationships, or lack of relationships. It could be struggles with marriage or children or lack of. These are called lelot. Lelot could last a minute. Lelot could last hours. They could last days. They could last years. They can come up and down. Lelot is a reality of life that's not going to change. So if you're looking to live a life where there's no lelot in your life, where there's no these difficulties, so you might as well ask to check out. Because it's not part of this reality and this existence that we're in. It's not. Lelot could be in a spiritual sense as well. Struggles spiritually. person is looking to grow, but it's hard for them. They have a hard time. They try. They fall. They... You could have spiritual lelot, spiritual struggles as well. Rabbeinu Tam, Allah Shalom, in his Sefer, Sefer Hayashar writes that life is made up of Yemeh Ahava, days of love, and Yemeh Sin'ah, days of hatred. He describes Yemeh Ahava as those days where everything seems to be going beautifully. Just great. From the minute you wake up, you wake up on time, clothes is ready for you, get in the car, it's starting properly, you find parking wherever you're going right away, you go in, you're on time to where you're going. And the whole day is just beautifully. Kids are going to school, they're fine, they're doing well. No, no phone calls, no issues. He's like, yeah, me'ahaba. You can have the me'ahaba physically, spiritually, where things are flowing and going. And then there's yemesina. It's part of the reality. Yemesina means oh, just these hard days. Just from the minute you wake up sometimes, just like, okay. The minute you wake up, you stub your toe, and from then it's just downhill. All the unexpected becomes the norm of that day. And they just get piled on. And it doesn't stop. The human reality of life. Now in truth, the way a person handles the Yemesina'ah, those challenging moments or those challenging hours or days or months, maybe years. That's what's going to decide your happiness and your success in life. You have to know that. Yemei Ahava will not define you. The days of love are very good. 
and very important and very enjoyable. We should look forward to that. But they will not, they will not define you. What will define you is how you deal with Yemeh Sina. Because Yemeh Sina could break the person. They could break the person physically, emotionally, in every way possible. Spiritually, for sure. How do you deal with Yemeh Sina? What do you need? When you have Yemeh Sina. You know, unfortunately, when there's Yemeh Sina, one of the feelings that happen when the days of Sina are piling on is something called in Hebrew, Yeush. Where a person feels like they just give up. They feel they're in a state of despair. Like, how much can one person handle? I can't. How many times have you felt like that? Like, I can't, it's too much. I can't, it's over my head, I can't do it. And having this feeling of yeush, that feeling of despair is the lowest, the lowest place that a human can get on this planet. I heard once that we know the Hazal tell us that Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim was in the 49 levels of Tum'ah. They, they were 49, they were right by the 50th. If you hit the 50th, you're done. There's no more Geulah, no more redemption. And they were right there, they were on the bottom. So I saw someone ask, so what, what happens to a person at the 50th level? What, what do they look like? How could you tell if the guy's on the 50th level, what is he doing? What is he involved in or not involved in? Like, is he not talking? Is he cursing? Is he, what is he doing? What are you, and what do you look like on the 50th level of Tum'ah? And they say, on the 50th level of Tum'ah, you'll find people with Yeush. People who gave up. People in despair. They just can't do it anymore. So what is it that a person needs during these times of sin'ah? What tools do you have to have to be able to go through the Yemeh sin'ah and you could say with flying colors success? What is it? What do you, what do you need the Yemeh sin'ah? Yemeh Ahava also needs things, but let's discuss now Yemeh sin'ah. Says David Amelech, very simple. Ve'emunatecha balelot. During Yemesina, during those difficult days or moments or whatever, you need emuna. Ve'emunatecha balelot. Lelot are Yemesina. We need emuna during those days. If you don't have emuna balelot, so then you're done. It's over. You, you, you're going to have an impossible time. So get ready for them because they're coming. They might even be there now. And you have to look for emuna. Because when you have emuna, you have a whole different outlook on things. For example, 
if you have emunah, you know. Like the Pasuk says, Hashem gives snow like wool. Simply it means the same way wool keeps the body warm by insulating the warmth inside the body and not allowing outside air to come in, so too the snow does the same thing for the earth. Under the snow, the warmth of the earth stays in and the cold is blocked. So this way the animals on the ground are able to survive the cold freezing temperatures so that they can help you when the temperatures get better, when you need them to grow the fertile ground. That's a simple translation. But some explain, no, no. It means Hashem, before He sends Shelek, before He sends the earth, snow and cold, first He measures the Tzemer. He measures how much wool is in the world. Hashem put factories of wool all over the world. Every sheep is factories of wool. They're all over. They're making wool. Everything you're wearing of wool, that they made it for you. Before Hashem sends the Sheleg, He first measures, is there enough wool? Because if there isn't enough wool, then they can't handle the cold. So I need them to have enough wool. Which means that before Hashem sends anybody a situation that's difficult, He first measures, is that person able to handle it? Because if he can't handle it, then he's not getting it. That's the first thing of emunah. Because the first part of yeush is that this is way above my eye. I can't do it. This is way too much for me. I cannot handle this. There is no way I can go through this. But if you understand, if you have an emunah, that Hashem will not put you in that situation unless you can handle it. Maybe your friend can't handle it. That's why it's very hard to preach to people when they're in a difficult situation. Because it could be their situation you can't handle. But guess what? You don't have their situation. And it could be the opposite. We could talk to people the truth, but we can't compare. You can't say, oh, I went through this. It was no big deal. Okay, that's you. I don't know what's so hard about that. But that's not, that's not your business. Hashem knows what everyone is capable of based on their makeup, their history, their situation. So if you have emuna, right away you start and you realize, wait, I could do this. I may choose not to, that's your problem, but at least you know you could do it. I have emuna, I know I could do this. And once I know I could do it, I jump much higher. Once I have emuna, I also realized not only I could do it, but it's not for no reason that it's happening. Like the great Rav Hutna says, most beautiful words. Which I, I say these words every time I say them. I just get excited from the thought of someone who made up such a beautiful words. He wrote one of his students who was having a hard time in something. It doesn't say in the letter what exactly. He was struggling with. And he told him the struggles that you're going through. He says they're like rehem la gadlut. The word rehem is the womb of the woman where the baby comes from. Rehem, the troubles in life, the lelot in life, he told them, 
is like the rahim, is like the womb of greatness. What does he mean, the womb of greatness? Who taught us shalain? It means, I think he means, is that when a woman is pregnant, imagine a woman who's pregnant for the first time. She never saw anyone pregnant, neither their husband. They thought people grew from the ground. They didn't know. And all of a sudden, this guy gets married. They're married together, and all of a sudden, this woman starts to explode. Every day more. So what is this? This is not how I'm married. What, they're playing a joke on me? What is this? And then it's one, two, three, four, five months. Not only physically, but you know, it's a little different mindset, it's a little different moods. And then it just gets bigger and bigger. Now, at, at, at nine months, I mean, this is like explosion time. This is not, at this point, this person is saying, by the way, she also saying, like, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. I don't know. I hate him. I don't know. I didn't know this about myself. And he's like, ready to, that's it. I'm done. I, this is not how I married. I mean, she can barely walk. I have, how many? <laughs> it's the truth. If you never saw a pregnant woman and then you saw this, you're like, this is a real serious issue. This is Lelot of the, the highest caliber. And all of a sudden, just by the end, when you just can't go anymore, the most beautiful gift Hashem sends you says that's not a one-time experience. That's a life lesson. Rehem la gadlut. Which means that greatness comes through the lot. Why is not for today's subject. But gadlut, greatness in life, and great accomplishments and great gifts come through Lilot. That's why we say in the morning, Yotzer or Hashem forms the light, Ubore Hoshech, and He creates darkness. The difference between Yotzer and Bore is Yotzer means you form something that already exists. Bore means you create something from nothing. Like Bereshit bara Elohim. You made it from nothing. So when it comes to the light, we say Hashem formed the light. That means they were material. And when it comes to darkness, Hashem created darkness from nothing. We would have thought, if anything, the opposite. Why does it say it that way? One young man once told me a beautiful explanation. It's so beautiful. He says, Hashem created darkness. Like it says, first, Hashem made darkness. And from the Erev, from the darkness, you form the light. The light is actually in the darkness. That's why we say, Yotzer Or. Hashem formed the light from the Hoshech that He created. It's a reality of life. Rav Sadoka Kohen writes, Me'olam, Me'olam, listen to these words. Me'olam means never, never. That's a big word, right? Never. Lohigia Adam Prati. That a person 
a single person reach leshum ma'ala any real quality unless the guy went through some challenges without lelot he says nobody ever grew it's not going to happen you don't grow from yeme ahava you grow from yeme sina it's a reality rehem lagadlut David Amelech, the great David Amelech, we say his words every day. Our prayers primarily come from David Amelech. We must mention him in every class ten times. It says that he was Zoche. I don't know what this means, but something obviously very special. That Hashem, Hashem's throne has four legs. Obviously, it's a lot deeper than this. But just a, Hashem has a throne, okay? And he has four legs. Who are the three legs? Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. Who's the fourth one? Not Moshe, not Aharon. Not, who is it? David. Says the Zohar, how did David become the fourth leg of the Kisekavot? Now, I would have an easy answer. What? Bring out Sefer Tehilim. What do you mean? David Amelech. His life was full, full. And yet the Zohar points out one story. Not Tehilim, not his life, not his struggle, not one thing. That one time when his son Afshalom was running after him to kill him. What a, what a pain. That the, the, the pain that must be for a father. Not only children are not listening to you, he wants to kill him. He wants to take over the kingdom. We can't imagine what that feels like. He's running after him to kill him in the streets of Yerushalayim. How embarrassing. The, the king's son is running after the king. And then Shimei ben Gerah, this man, this very respected man, comes out and starts cursing at David Amelech and calling him all types of names. And the people around David says, that guy, he has to die right now. Mored ba malchut. We're going to go kill him. Says David Amelech, no. Not now. Right now, it's heated. If we would kill him now, it would be out of... Maybe he deserves to die, but not in this way. And he says the most famous words, Hanihula, leave him. Vaikalil, let him curse. Ki amar lo Hashem. Hashem told him, I am getting this, I deserve this, leave him now. Take him a different time. Says the Zohar, this story, now this story was the lowest point probably of David Amelech's life. If David had a, a biography, this would be the lowest point, the most embarrassing, horrible moment in the life of David Amelech, publicly with family, you name it. The worst moment of his life. There's no bigger Lila than this. Says the Zohar, from this Lila came the great light of David Amelech. Because of this story, he got the fourth leg of the Kisei Kabot. Abraham Avinu. Where did he become Abraham that everybody said, Oh, Abraham Avinu, this great nation that came from him. Where? Veha Elohim Nisait Abraham. Go slaughter your child. My, my 37-year-old son, the one that you promised me that he's going to be the one, that guy, yeah, slaughter him. Could you know, what, what does that feel like to go slaughter your son? Like we read in the Ed Sharera son on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Ayim Bemar Bucha. His most bitter day of his life. His tears are coming down bitterly. Lev Sameach. 
He had a lev sameach despite because he had emunah. The greatest moment of Avraham Avinu's life is that moment. You ever go to the Kotel Amaravi? You ever wonder what's so special about the Beta Migdash? What happened over there? By Har Sinai, nothing happened till today. Anyone ever go visit Har Sinai? Any holy things happen at Har Sinai? No. What do you mean? Hashem gave the Torah in Har Sinai. How could that be not an important place? How could that not be the holiest place on earth? What happened in the Beit HaMikdash? Why is that the place? Because in Har Sinai, Hashem gave us the Torah. That's very good for Him. But in the Beit HaMikdash, that was the place where Abraham Avinu went through the hardest moment of his life. And that was to kill his son. It was right in that spot. And that makes a very special place. The holiness of that place is there for thousands of years. The most challenging moment of his life, the greatest emunah, excuse me, lelot that he, tried, that, he, that he had to go through, the biggest light. Yemesin'ah are not bidi'avad. They're not like, oh, I don't know why Hashem made these days of sin'ah. They're, they're, they're not Bidiyavan. They're, they're there for a purpose. There's a story, I once told you the story of this great rabbi. He invited all of the city people. I don't know exactly what was going on. He invited the entire city. In those days, they used to have one rabbi per city. The entire city come to hear. He had a very important message for them. So they all wonder, what, what, what's the message? What's going on? He gets up to speak. And he says, Rabotai, I know that each one of you in his heart has challenges that you're going through that not everyone knows about. And I know that each one of you would rather that it shouldn't be this way. You'd rather life be much smoother and easier and no issues and no challenges and no lelot. Of course, I know you would rather it be that way. He says, Ulam de'ulachem. He says, but listen to me. You should know well that if one of you one day will wake up and you'll say to yourself, you know something? Baruch Hashem, I have no lelot, nothing, zero. I have no challenges in life, everything is easy, everyone's healthy, everyone has enough money, everyone's doing well, everyone's married, everyone has children, everyone, everyone's perfect, perfect. Everything is great. So if you wake up one day, if any of you wake up one day and you realize your life is perfect, nothing wrong. He says, Alav larutz lebeta keneset. He said, you should quickly run to shul, open the Arona Kodesh, and start crying in your tefillah. And ask Hashem, Ribbono Olam, did you lose faith in me? Do you think I can't handle it? You don't have any emunah in me? You know, the words are a little deceiving. It sounds like you have to have emunah when it's lelot, like we've been saying. But that's not what the words mean. Emunatcha balelot. Your emunah, Hashem's emunah. Hashem has emunah? The answer is yes. He believes in me. It's not enough for me to have emunah in Hashem during lelot. That's not going to get you through. You need to know that Hashem believes in you. Ve'emunatcha. You believe in me. And everything is perfect. You better go running asking, you lost faith in me? What happened? Everything is perfect. I don't get it. 
These nisyonot are like yahalomim. They're like diamonds. The story of a man, the king had a tremendous amount of hakarata tofo. The man saved his daughter's life. So he told me, no, he's thinking, what should he do for him? What can he do for him? He told me, no, I have a lot of warehouses, a lot of warehouses in my country. But I have one where I put the most important, the most expensive. I'm going to let you in there for 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is. You take whatever you want, all you could take. He starts telling his friends. Of course, now everybody starts to like him. They're all coming to accompany him. He's going to the warehouse. And they're all outside waiting for him to come out. He goes in. And he's walking aisle by aisle. And he cannot believe his eyes. All he sees is these big heavy rocks. Not light rocks, heavy ones. One aisle, the other aisle, third aisle, fourth aisle. All he sees is rocks. All different colors. And every aisle he walks down, he says, Yamash, I'm over Zakhra, this king. <laughs> Guys, I, I did him a favor. I saved his daughter's life. He sends me to a warehouse of rocks and he expects me to carry them out. Guy, what, what is this? After 10, 12 aisles, that's it. I'm out of here. Guy walks out with nothing in his hand. Everyone's watching. What happened? Guy came out empty handed. The God can't believe it. Everyone said, What happened? How come you didn't get anything? He says, you can't believe it. The whole place is rocks. All rocks. Could you imagine such a busha? Did God tell them you dip? <laughs> he says, those not rocks. On the outside, they're rocks. And the inside, they're precious stones. There's, they're all diamonds in there, amethyst stones, onyx stones, all the most precious stones in the world are in those big rocks. You think they're a rock? That's how not are in this world. The lelot are not rocks. The lelot have very much beauty inside of them. How many people do you know have changed their life because of a Lila? Have made more difference to other people? Have become bigger givers? You know, when you have success in life, you become arrogant. You become, you say, Look how smart I am. Look how gorgeous I am. Look at my family. Look at this. Look at that. And you start to become arrogant. And as you become arrogant, you start to lift yourself. Not only above people, but above God himself. And you lose the relationship. What berachot? Me berachot? Are you kidding? I, I, the whole world's mine. I'm the most hashub guy. I make a berachah. That's for like hazi people. I'm I'm a very hashub person. I don't I don't me go to shul pray. You know who I am. Gava, arrogance, arrogance towards people. You start lowering people in your eyes. That guy, man. So I don't, I don't talk to those people. Those people are like passe. Those people. That guy, man. Everybody's measured because I become a Baal Gava. And even by Yishman, Yishurun, by even God Himself, I start to show my arrogance towards Him. Who is He to tell me? You know who I am? He's going to tell me how to live my life? Are you kidding? He's telling me to live, keep Shabbat. What does He know about me? It sounds very not nice, but it's the Emet. When you have everything in life, you become arrogant. And arrogance is even towards God. Like Parao says, Li ori. You see this Nile? It's mine. 
That's my, that's my business. That's my money. Va'ani asitini. Who made me? Me. That's what happens to us. Sometimes through lilot, the person starts to wake up. Where's your thank you cards? Where's your appreciation? Where's your fulfillment? Where's your, where's your accomplishment? Where are you? Are you growing in life? Are you becoming something in life? You're going to check out of here after 120. What, what are you taking with you? What are you doing here? Did you forget that you're on a road here? Did you think this was the final destination? Did you forget that you're only passing here? Did you forget that you were just put into the world a few years ago? You were made from nothing. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Lilot sometimes bring out the best in people. Usually success makes people selfish and arrogant. Lilot make them giving and humble and better. Now, I don't think anybody here is going to go pray tonight to have Lilot. Even if I convinced you that it's the most beautiful diamond. I don't think you want to pray for Lilot. And I don't think you should pray for Lilot. And the mashal I gave you of the rabbi, I don't know if it was a real story. But I don't think we should be running to the Arona Kodesh to pray for Lilot. I don't think that's the right formula. We pray every morning, Hashem, please don't bring us to Nisayon. We don't want Nisayonot. Please, keep us healthy, keep us good, keep us... Please. So is there any way either to avoid Lilot as much as possible? And is there any way to ensure that when they come, that we, at least we have emuna? At least we have that. We may not be able to get rid of all of them. We certainly don't want to invite more. But at the very least, can we have emuna? How, how do you build that? It's very hard to have emuna and lilot. Very easy when someone is talking to have emuna to somebody else. Oh yeah, have emuna. Don't worry, it's fine. It's gonna be all. It's gonna be great. Don't worry. When you're talking and you have not, you don't have the same issue. It's very easy. But to actually have emuna, how do you do that? Says David Melech, lehagid baboker hasdecha. Very simple formula. Every day, make berachot. Lehagid baboker hasdecha. Make a hundred berachot a day. Boker doesn't mean the morning. Boker means for the good things in your life. Lehagid baboker hasdecha. Make berachot. Send back the thank you notes. Every day, 100 times. When you are connected to Hashem in the good times, when the Lord comes, you have someone to turn to. But if you have Boker in your life and you don't send back the thank you notes, then you're disconnected from Hashem. And when you have Lilot, it's going to be very hard to find them. Because you don't have, you didn't build that connection. Says David Melech, Lehagid baboker hasdecha ve'emunatecha balilot. When you're saying your berachot, by the way, even when you're in lelot, you have boker. Even during lelot, you could find a boker. Find the boker in your lila. 
and make sure you say the Biracha for that. You may be struggling with A, but you got a lot of B and a lot of C and a lot of D also. Are you sending back the thank you notes for those? Well, that's what it's going to take to get Be'emunatcha Balilot. Le'hagid ba'boker hazdecha Be'emunatcha Balilot. 100 berachot a day to say thank you, to grow the relationship of Ahava, and to build up our emunah, and to reach our greatness. Baruch Amen ve'amen.